Amen. Hey, good to see everybody. Grab a seat. Man, this is awesome to see all you guys looking so good today. I'm excited because right after service, we've got a fun barbecue out in the parking lot and uh, it's going to be good. We were at this beautiful church last night that's by a river and having a barbecue there. And we were like, you know, this church has, you know, the Willamette River, but we've got the river of commerce (laughs) flowing by Joy Church. Hey, um, I want to just jump right into the message. So if the the media team could just post my slide for today. Oh, oops. Oh, no. Oh, whoops. Gosh, how did that get there? Oh, man. Yes. Okay. All right. I've been told I talk too much about duck football and not, you know, not getting into the word enough. So I just thought a picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, I'm happy to give you the thousand words in the parking lot uh, after the barbecue. Uh, We can talk some ducks, but let's jump in today. And and, uh, we're concluding our series, I Love My City, I Love My Church. We've been talking about sort of the twin engines of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That There's sort of the uh, two things, this this, uh, centeredness and this planting in a family of being in a local church, of being part of a church community and a, and a family. Uh, yes, we're part of the broader body of Christ. We're part of the church around the world. But oftentimes people will sort of say, oh, I'm part of the church. And then they're not really planted in a church. And so uh, it's important that we connect with that local expression. And for us, that's Joy Church. And we're talking about, I love my church. And as we find that place of plantedness, we find that place of, of where we're to be planted in God's family, out of that comes the other part, which is I love my city, right? I love my church. I love my city that we, as we are connected to the heart of God and God's family, he calls us to go out into the world and make a difference, calls us to go out and make disciples and make an impact and a difference in the world around us. So we've been talking about that for the past few weeks. And we're going to conclude that series today by talking specifically about what it means to be planted in the church and what God does in our lives. So the message today is called strong. Somebody say strong. Strong. God wants to put you in a position and a a placement of strength in your life. We live in a very transitory culture and what I would call a, a culture of consumerism where everything in life is based on having unlimited options. I mean, even look at our entertainment choices. You can go and have not just Netflix with all of the TV that you could ever watch. Most of it you don't need to, but you know, it's all there with all those options. But now you not only have every option on that streaming service, now you have a plethora of, of, of choices of streaming services with different programming, right? And this same consumerism, you know, it applies to restaurants. What's your preference? Have it your way, Burger King says. This sort of preferential thing has crept into how people think about church. But actually, God has a different perspective about church. Rather than it being based on preference, it should be based on positioning. It should be based on planting, being rooted in a particular area. Today, I want to do my best to talk you out of coming to Joy Church. And you go, Pastor Jake, why would you do that? Well, the reason why is because there's something different. Uh, I don't want you to choose to come to Joy Church because you have some preference about the way that things go here on a Sunday morning. That's a consumer mindset. You might say, man, I just love the music here. Man, the team is amazing. They did such an incredible job today. I love the music too. But if you come to this church because of the music, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you say, man, I just love the preaching here. I've never heard that. But you know, if that were (laughs) the case... uh, Well, when Bethany speaks, I guess that does get said, right? But if you said, Pastor Jake, we're coming to Joy Church because, man, we just love the word that you gave. We just love the message. I go, hey, thanks for the compliment. But actually, that hurts me a little bit on the inside. I'll tell you why. Because I don't want you to come here because of preference. 
why we are part of a church is because of planting. Because God said, this is where I want you to, to anchor down. This is where I want you to, 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 to plant your life. So that when you are in that position, when you are in that planting, you can grow strong. You can lay deep roots. And you can be all in. You see, if we have a consumer mindset, then we're consumers. But God wants us to be contributors. If we have a consumer mindset, then we're spectators watching other people do churchy stuff on Sunday when what God has called us to be is participants. Because when you actually look at a real authentic New Testament expression of church, it's not a performance on a Sunday. It's this, it's this uh, overflowing group of people overflowing in the presence and the love of God ministering to a city and ministering to each other. And everybody has a role. Everybody has a place in the family business doing what God has called us to do. And so, yes, it's awesome that we come on Sunday. And I do hope you love the music. And I do hope you love the preaching. And I do hope that it suits your preferences. But what I care about mostly is that you follow the voice of the Lord and find out where he's called you to be planted. And if that's not here, then find that place. Any pastor worth their salt would say, when God has called you to go to a particular church, that's where you go. Go to that church and give and serve and lay your life down because that is where the kingdom of God advances. Come on. And so we're talking about this idea of being planted, not in preference, but in positioning by God. We're going to look into the word here in Psalms chapter 92, verse 12. The writer of Psalms, this is an ancient, coming from ancient times, and this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes these words, God speaks these words, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in an old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. God's purpose for you in plantedness, God's purpose for you in, in being planted in his house is that you would have the attributes, and we're going to talk about the attributes of the palm, the attributes of the cedar, that you would grow strong, you'd have these deep roots, and that you would remain vital, full of life and green, right? Something still fresh, even as you age. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that, God, we would be good soil, that each of us would listen, Lord, and not just let words flow in one ear and out the other and just kind of leave and, and go have a, a pleasant day, Lord, and go, oh, that was encouraging. But Lord, I pray that this word would actually be rooted in us. Lord, this message would, would go down deep and find good soil and produce action and tangible steps, Lord, as we work out uh, our obedience and our walk with you in response to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, we see two pictures. Uh, for those of you that are green thumbs, I'm not. I kill plants when I get around them. But for those of you that are green thumbs, you'll love this. We're going to talk about the attributes of the palm, the attributes of the cedar. The writer uses two, two trees as pictures uh, of what God intends. And he says the godly, as they're planted, when they're in the courts of the Lord, will flourish like a palm and will grow strong like a cedar. Now, how many of you have actually seen a palm tree with your own eyes, right? They're not native to here, right? You don't go around Eugene and like, oh, look at all the beautiful palms. There's always somebody a little pretentious in a nice neighborhood who just happens to have a palm tree. If that's you, just repent, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, fig we'll figure it out. But, you know, most of us in Oregon, we're like used to evergreen. You know, we got pines and firs and all this kind of stuff. But if you go down to Palm Desert, Palm Springs in California, uh, where Shanti is from, you know what I mean? You see some palms down there, right? And they grow there like crazy. They're all over. If you go to uh, other places, you'll see palms. And in the Middle East, uh, there's a lot of palm trees. And so the palm 
is an interesting tree because it typically grows in areas that are not externally good for growth. And how does the palm tree flourish? How do they do so well in these arid areas, in these desert lands? Well, it's interesting because palms, they, they, they actually have very deep root systems and very broad ranging root systems, and they go and they find the water that they need. So I want you to apply this to thinking about being planted in church, that the word says, God wants you to flourish like a palm tree. Well, how does a palm tree flourish? Well, a palm tree works really hard even when the external environment doesn't suit its preference, it's sending its roots down and it finds what it needs where it's at. Now think about how we treat church. Well, I didn't really care for the music today and it was, you know, too loud by two decibels. And the, the, the sermon, you know, Pastor Jake's jeans are always a little skinny for my taste. <laughs> Guys, I don't have a, a butt. I have to wear pants that are held up. That shouldn't have been in the sermon. <laughs> it's not style, it's function. It doesn't suit my preference, but I'm planted here and I, I send my roots down deep to get the presence of God, to get the word, to get that fellowship, that relationship, even when the external environment is not good. A palm tree flourishes because it puts its roots down deep. A palm tree, very interestingly, is designed and can withstand hurricanes. So palms grow in places like Florida and Louisiana, different places where there's hurricanes. And a palm tree can actually go completely horizontal. Think about this. This is not how trees are meant to work. But these ones are. They go completely horizontal. The wind is so strong, and then it'll actually re retake its, uh, its shape, its upright posture, and just go back to being copacetic and just, you know, swaying in the breeze, listening to you know, Jimmy Buffett or whatever it's listening to, you know. The, the palm tree can go completely horizontal. It's fascinating because Jesus said, in this life, you will have storms. You're going to go through hurricane force winds in life. The world's going to get crazy. And if you're flourishing like a palm, you don't break. You bend, but you don't break. And even if you go completely horizontal, you come back and you're still flourishing. Isn't that cool? That's God's purpose and his plan for you. And when they've studied these palm trees as they go completely horizontal and then go back to upright posture, they found that they're actually stronger for the challenge and, the, and, the, and that what would look like destruction, when they come back into their shape, they are stronger after that point. Again, for the godly, for somebody who's planted in God's house, for somebody who is saying, this is where I've planted my flag, I'm planted here. When you are like that, you're like that palm that though you go through those storms of life, you come back, you take your shape, and you're even stronger than you were before. The palm is incredible. <clears throat> it's very flexible, very resilient. And then the word goes on and says, but not just to flourish like a palm, you're to be strong like a cedar. And the cedar is interesting. We're more familiar with cedars. I think we have them here, at least in our region. But in the ancient world, cedars did not grow everywhere. And most of the time, they were limited to just a few places, a pl some places in Turkey and then specifically in Lebanon. But the cedar tree was called the tree of kings. And it was highly prized. The great empires of the ancient world, Mesopotamia, Samaria, Egypt, they didn't have any cedars. They actually didn't have any trees. They could build boards longer than three feet. So when you're trying to build things like, you know, boats, houses, right? Uh, the thing that you get carried around on by the servants. You know what I mean? You need, you know, boards. And so they had to go to Lebanon. It was this highly, highly prized timber, the cedar. 
They were very valuable. They, they grow very slowly. So it's not something that you can just be like, well, we'll just plant some cedars and we'll call it gravy. It wasn't like that. They had to be growing for a long time. Um, they can reach heights of 100 feet, which is tall, but it's not really what makes this tree unique because palm trees can get 100 feet tall. So why does the writer of this psalm talk about cedars? Well, there's a different reason. Because though a palm tree can get 100 feet, and a palm tree is very flexible and resilient, the cedar has something that makes it very unique and special. The cedar can live up to 1,000 years. The cedar can go on and on and on and continue to live and continue to go, and the palm trees are coming and going and coming and going and coming and going, and they're resilient, yeah, but the cedar remains generation after generation after generation. You see, God is not just about the short term. God isn't just concerned with this generation. He's called in Scripture the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, that many of the things God is doing now are not for us, but therefore our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and on and on and on. And God is thinking about generations. Aren't you glad that somebody a thousand years ago decided to show up at church on a Sunday and get on their knees and worship the living God and pray and serve and build churches and expand the gospel around the world so that you could be sitting here today? And that in the foresight of God and the wisdom of God and the goodness of God, that he called some people to be strong, not just resilient and flexible like a palm, but to be strong and to have longevity like a cedar. And to, and to take that time to be planted to grow. It takes cedars 25 to 30 years to reach maturity, which is twice as fast as the human male. That was fun. Cedars grow very slowly. They don't look impressive. They don't get this quality overnight. It takes decades for them to really become what they were called to be, what they were created to be. They take all this time, 25, 30 years, and then they hit a certain point, and then they get really tall all of a sudden. Did you know that your best days are far in your future if you stay planted? If you go through the time and the season of staying planted, though you don't look that impressive, though you have not achieved or realized your potential, this is what most people do. They go to a church, they pick it because they like the message they heard or the music that they heard. And they go, oh yeah, this kind of suits my preference. But then a year or two later, they go, well, you know, he's still preaching that message and he's still wearing skinny jeans and I've heard that song before. And I went to Joy Group and like, you know, the people there, they're just like normal people, they're sinners, you know, and like I should go find a perfect church. And you uproot yourself. And you go and you spend two years at another church and you wonder why you never see the fruit. And then you look at someone who's been in the same place for 20 or 30 or 40 years and there's all this fruitfulness, even in old age, and this freshness and this vitality and this joy in God. And it's because they stayed rooted in the place that God called them. Now, does God ever call you to go from one place to another? Absolutely. I'm not saying, you know, man, God's never going to call somebody to go. No, I'm saying he's going to call you to be planted somewhere and there's actually going to be duration of plantedness. And there's going to be rootedness in that place where you actually get down to the nitty gritty, come on, where you get down to the, the base level and you're digging those roots in and you actually grow. If you will stay faithful, God will help you be fruitful. But you got to stay planted. And so the writer of Psalm brilliantly describes what it means to be planted in God's house with these two trees, the flexibility and resiliency of the palm. What a beautiful picture. 
and the longevity and stability and nobility of the cedar. Now listen, if you've been serving Jesus for 5, 10, 15, 25 years, what happens is you begin to look a lot more like that cedar. And the winds come and you go, you barely move. You get a little stiff. You start to get a little bit upset when the winds blow. You go, man, I don't really like this music. What kind of music are we playing in church now? It's different than when I got saved 30 years ago. And guess what? God's saying to you, flourish like a palm. Get flexible. So you hear that message and you hear that sermon and you're bent all the way horizontal and you hated it, but you didn't leave. Because it's not about your preference, it's about your plantedness. That's a good message. And maybe you're here and you're, you're a palm. You're a little baby palm and you grew up and you're like, woo! And you're, you know, swaying in the wind and you're like, man, I love this church. Woo, they're giving us t-shirts in a couple weeks. We get to eat hot dogs. This is great. You know, and you go through some storms and like, you know, you, you feel like, man, I've just, I've nailed it. And like, you need to look at some of those cedars and be like, dang, they old. <laughs> look at that stability. They were, they, you're swaying in the wind, but you know what? They, they have been planted for 20, 30, 40 years in God's house and continuing to serve Jesus. We're to be like a palm and we're to be like a cedar. And that's the picture of plantedness that we're given. These trees that they speak about in Psalm are transplanted. Why do they flourish like palms and are strong like a cedar? They were transplanted. That means taken from one place, brought to another. All of us were transplanted from the kingdom of darkness and isolation and in our own sin and separated from God. We were brought into the kingdom of light and brought into God's house. We were taken from a place of loneliness and brought into a place of family. And that transplanting was purposeful by God. It's interesting because we live in an individual, individualistic society. It's just fascinating. You can hear it. If you study this out, you, you hear it everywhere in culture. It's like, well, you know, I've been helping other people, but now I need to live my dream. And, and really, this doesn't suit me. And everything is meant to be sort of, again, consumer-focused and me-focused and very individualistic. Um, I want to be, you know, different like everybody else who's trying to be different, right? And this is how our culture sort of expresses. We express ourselves. But it's interesting because the picture of salvation that we see in the Bible is not just like God saved you and now you have this like special thing with God. He saves you into a family. He saves you out of isolation. It says in the scripture, God uh, re rescues the lonely and he, bring, and he sets them in a family. God takes us from the world and he brings us into the church. And our place of plantedness is going to be a place of community. We're transplanted move from somewhere else to the Lord's own house. We're brought into the family of God. And that is the place of our flourishing. There are many, many Christians, people that have actually put their faith in Jesus and they are doing everything other than flourishing. Marriages are messy. Kids and parenting is a mess. Families are a mess. There's addictions and brokenness and all this kind of stuff. And you look and you go, why aren't they flourishing? And I would just put it forward to you today for your own analysis that in many cases, the reason that you do not flourish as a believer is because you have been transplanted, but you keep transplanting yourself. And you're moving away from the place of God's planting. There is no perfect church, but there is a church that you're to be planted in. And that's why I said, I'll try to talk you out of being at Joy Church. If you come to me and say, hey, well, I realize Joy Church is not where I'm supposed to be planted, then let me help you find an awesome church to be planted in. But when you get there, put your roots down deep and serve and give and go all in. But if God has put you here, then baby, this is your family. Come on. 
and you're supposed to be here and you're supposed to do what? Go all in and get your roots down deep and serve and worship God and show up every Sunday not to consume but to contribute. To, to show up every Sunday, to go to group, to be all in because that's where God's planted you. That is the place of flourishing. It says they flourish in the courts of our God. In the ancient Middle East, houses were built differently because many times they're built in these arid desert climates uh, and there's wind and all this kind of stuff. And so we do it differently, like here in the Northwest, we have our house and then around our house is our lot and we have our gardens and our, you know, nice landscaping. Some of you have nice landscaping. We definitely do not. That is a weakness in my <laughs> stewardship of the house. But uh, there's, you know, we put our, our kind of our yards out around. But in this time period, when they talk about the courts, they would build a house and on the inside would be an open air courtyard. And in the middle of this courtyard is what the writer is trying to get us to understand. This is where you're transplanted and brought to the center of the house, right in that middle courtyard. God wants to plant you not on the fringe, not as a spectator on the outside. He wants to bring you to the middle, to the center. One of the things that you should always try to do when, you, when God is placing you, planting you in a local church, and if you're at Joy Church, for the majority of the people here, this is your church. This is your local church. Don't Hang out outside the courts. Don't hang out on the fringe. Look for the middle and try to get there. What does that mean? It means pursue every avenue of building relationships. Pursue every avenue of serving. Pursue every avenue of spiritual growth. Don't remain on the outside. Well, nobody's invited me to the inside yet. You're invited. I'm inviting you. <laughs> now, be bold and say, how do I get to the middle? How do I get to the inside? How do I, how do I get to the courts? Because that's where God wants us all to be. The good stuff is on the inside. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. Come on, if you are faithful, God will make you fruitful. And it doesn't matter how old you are. One of the things that I love about Joy Church is we don't have a generational divide here. If you look around this room, you'll see people with gray hair, You'll see people with grayish hair like mine in my beard. You'll see people with no hair. You'll see people, you know, <laughs> you'll see people uh, that are, we got babies in here today. It's amazing. This is a multi-generational place. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. We've got wonderful silver saints here, right? People that have been serving Jesus for a long time or, or maybe came to Jesus later in life but are serving God. And you might think if you're of an older generation, you might think, I'm done. I, I'm washed up. There's nothing God can do with me. I'm not like, you know, these young bucks that I see jumping around and they're moving like palm trees back and forth. No, you're cedar. It's cedar time. <laughs> Strength and movability, right? Anchor this thing down. Come on. But God has called you to be fruitful even as you have aged, right? God is calling you to be fruitful. In the kingdom of God, you don't retire. You just go to heaven. I, people, my parents were here this morning. My mom and dad, they've been uh, pastoring Joy Church Medford for like 39 years. My dad's hair is a lot more silver and gray than it was when I remember years and years ago, right? He has a lot less mobility. There's no less vitality. There's still fruit and there's still joy and there's still passion and there's still mission. You will, they remain vital and green. The only fountain of youth is drinking from the well of Jesus and his Holy Spirit and staying connected to the purposes of God. And I just believe that the older I get, I'm just going to be more effective for the kingdom, not less. Come on. So palm and a cedar, we're called to be flourishing like these. We're called to be strong like these two trees. I want to talk today about five areas of strength, kind of lean into this idea of being strong. And as you're 
planted and God calling us to be planted. Number one, we're called to be strong in faith. It says in Colossians chapter 2, Now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Have you ever been accused of being too thankful? Anybody? Like you have this container of thankfulness and it just got too full. And now you're people around you, you're like, man, I'm just grateful. I'm thankful. God is good. My life's good. My wife, my, my kids, everything's good. Business is good. Life is good. My football team won. Like it's good. It's good, 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 good. I've never been accused of being too thankful. And uh, I've never heard anybody who was. What does it mean to be overflowing with thankfulness? It means God's goodness has so saturated your life and filled your container that when other people get around you, they're sort of annoyed at how thankful you are. This is what God wants you to be like. Not filled with vitriol and complaints and I'm bitter about this and mad about this. He's talking about this reality where you overflow with thankfulness and that's a beautiful place to be. And how do we get there? It comes from being strong in faith, which is an aspect of rootedness and plantedness in God's house. Strong in faith. Let me define faith for you today and kind of change the paradigm. Many people hear the word faith and they think that faith means sort of blind belief. Well, I just have faith. Like there's no evidence. I just have faith. But that's not biblical faith, number one. And it's not the type of faith that's being spoken of here. This type of faith is the natural outworking of relationship and trust as you journey with Jesus. This is what the, the type of faith that's being talked about. It says, now just as you accepted Christ, that's step one, that we receive Jesus. He says, I offer you salvation. I offer you my life. We say, I receive it. But then there's a step two, which is you must continue to follow him, which is the outworking of our salvation. That's why when we pray a prayer, even today at the end of service, we're going to say, hey, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to put your trust in Jesus? And we always say this, that's the beginning of a journey, not the end. We don't look at putting your faith in Jesus as a get out of hell free card where you pray this prayer, you say these magic words, and then you go live like hell. That's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is saying, I see that I'm a sinner. I repent. I turn to Jesus. I ask him for salvation. He gives it to me. And in the process of that, I am now, I now belong to him and he's my Lord and I continue to follow him. So when we talk about being strong in faith, it's that there's actually going to be a moment of salvation leading to a life of salvation worked out as you journey with Jesus. And And it says here, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong. There are many believers or many Christians that have a weak faith, which doesn't mean that they don't believe strong enough. How do you believe stronger or harder? I mean, I want you to think about this. Do you have a belief muscle? Is there something that you can kind of, you know, you're like, miracles, you can't make it happen. You can't believe harder. I want you to think about that. So what does the Bible mean? What does it mean When it talks about growing and getting stronger in faith, what is the difference here, the juxtaposition between a strong or a weak faith? It has very little to do with you and a lot more to do with Jesus and how much you understand and are journeying with him and what he's working out through you and in you. It has more to do with proximity to the Savior than it does the power or the the potency of your belief towards him. You hear what I just said? It has more to do with your proximity to him. How do we grow stronger in faith? By journeying with Jesus. By listening to the truth that we were taught. That's why we encourage everyone to have a daily time of devotion, of prayer and Bible reading and connecting with God. You know that 
Bethany and I, we talk every single day. We've, we've been married for now 14, coming up to 15 years. And our relationship continues to get deeper and richer, more intimate and beautiful. And we talk every day. We don't always talk about our marriage or our feelings. I try to talk about my feelings. She doesn't want to. But, you know, we talk about life and our kids. And we talk about you guys and the beautiful things God's doing in the church and just all of it. You know, conversation and time spent together doesn't immediately equal intimacy, but you will never get intimacy without it. And so when we talk about spiritual disciplines of spending some time with Jesus every day, it doesn't immediately equal intimacy with Jesus that you read your Bible and check a box on your Bible reading plan, that you spend that time in prayer even when you don't feel like it. It doesn't immediately equal intimacy with Jesus, but you will never get intimacy with Jesus without that time spent. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so it's not an effort or earning thing. It's about saying, I understand that this is the environment that I stay close to him. I want to encourage you to be strong in faith. Understand what you believe and why. Listen, if you're a Christian in the 21st century in America, you don't live in a Christian nation. You live in a postmodern, post-Christian nation. And you are now the minority. You're not the moral or intellectual majority. You're not the majority culture. You're the minority culture. And most of the things that the world around us believes are actually counter-biblical and counter-Christian. And therefore, you cannot simply coast and sort of show up at church and be a consumer on Sundays and expect to have a strong and vibrant faith. You've got to dig your roots down deep into the truth of God, understand what you believe and why, understand the doctrines of the church. You need to understand the history of the church. You need to understand why you come on Sundays and what that means to you and what it means to your kids and their grandkids and actually develop some root system of faith in your life. I could talk about that a lot. That's all I'm going to say. Strong faith comes from being rooted in Christ and growing strong in the truth. Number two, we're called to be strong in weakness. But he said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, something that was bugging him. He wanted it gone, a, a trial, a tribulation. God spoke to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many of you want Christ's power to rest on you? Did you know that his power can't rest on you if your power is resting on you? If you're strong in yourself, it's interesting, our, our world's very much about empowerment. I'm self, you know, I've made myself, I'm empowered, I'm mentally strong, I'm physically strong. I'm, well, sure, it's good to work on self-improvement, but I would much prefer that we all work on leaning into Jesus and letting his power rest on us. Paul says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a paradox of the Christian faith that is only accessible and understood by followers of Jesus. That in our weaknesses, first of all, being a Christian is really the, the beginning with admitting that you are weak and that you can't figure it out yourself. I talked about this last week, but the Christian faith is the only faith in which the picture of religion is dramatically different from every other world religion and faith. You see, every other man-made religion or faith describes a ladder that we must climb to get to God and make ourselves worthy, make ourselves holy, where the Christian faith inverts that process and says there is a ladder, there are standards, there are rungs on the ladder of God's righteousness and holiness. But in the Christian story, it is God that comes down, reaches down into the mud, embraces us in our sin, and elevates us to a place of positional righteousness and relationship with him. 
And so this is a paradox that only Christians understand is that in our weaknesses, in our failings, in our struggles, in the difficulties that we face in the world, in the wind that bows us down horizontal, the palm tree's not happy about the wind. They're not laughing when they go horizontal, just to be clear. They're screaming, but they get back up. And when you go in life and you're broken to the core and you're broken down and you think, I'm, I'm, I'm decimated, and we've all been here, or at least most of us have, how could I ever recover from this? How could I ever get back? And that's when all of a sudden this supernatural power of Christ comes in and his grace is sufficient. And he comes in and he lifts you up and there's something, a greater power at work in you than anything this world can offer. Just like we sang today, no power of hell. No, no other thing in life can pluck me from his grasp. What an incredible truth of the Christian faith that you can secure your life upon the foundation of faith in Jesus and be strong in weakness. Number three, we're called to be strong in character. Psalms 15 says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. You might hear me say this and think I'm talking about that we need to clean up our own behavior and we need to be better and we need to have higher character. No, Christianity knows, the Christian faith and Christians know that our character is actually flawed and that we need to grow in that and be more like Jesus, but we recognize our own inability to get there. What, what this is talking about when it says speaking the truth from sincere hearts is that we admit that there are lines and that we have crossed them on the wrong side and that we require forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to a righteous and holy God. What our culture has done instead of that is deny the lines. When I was in kindergarten, I was homeschooled after third grade, but I went to a Christian school in kindergarten and there was this girl that I really despised. She was terrible. Her name was Melissa. And she was really good at coloring. I mean, really, really good. And so she was one of those like annoying girls who could they would shade in all the edges. You know what I'm talking about here? Like they'd shade in the edges. I mean, some of you did this. Don't out yourselves because I'm still bitter. I need to repent, but I'm bitter. She would like color the edges. It would be darker coloring crown and her edges were so defined. And then she'd lightly shade in and they were beautiful. And then my coloring pictures, they looked really bad because I would go fast and there would be squiggles of color coming out and all of that kind of thing. And it was really disheartening. You know, it really wounded my inner child. And uh, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm going to receive some healing for that. But even as a child, I recognized that there were lines and that I was out of the lines when I was coloring out of them and it didn't look as good. And, you know, there is something about encouraging people when they make mistakes, but there's something very evil about denying the lines exist at all. So what we've done in our culture is we've said, oh, there are no lines, therefore there is no sin. You can't really make a mistake and you can't really be wrong which might give you a superficial feeling of relief, but ultimately what that does is the most evil, heartless thing ever, which is remove you from the position of receiving salvation. Because Jesus can't save people that don't need to be saved. He said, I didn't come for those who don't know that they're sick. You have to know I'm kind of broken and I need a savior. And when you admit that there are lines and you've crossed them, then there is actually a peace in recognizing that you have a good and merciful God, that though you have violated the lines, though you have stepped out of God's pattern and plan for life and welcome to the human race, because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all violated the lines, but his goodness and his grace 
is most visible in that contrast of light and darkness. And when we deny the lines, we deny salvation and we deny the mercy of God and we deny the uh, goodness of God. And we find ourselves in a hopeless and futile existence. You wonder why people are so discouraged and so depressed. It's because we live in a culture that says there's no lines, there's no sin, there's no, there's no, you didn't step out of line. You just expressed your individual preferences. Why do I feel so dead on the inside? Why do I feel so guilty? Because though you can deny the lines, they exist woven into the fabric of the universe because God created this world with intellectual, scientific, and moral lines all throughout. And we intuitively know that as human beings. And you're intellectually and ethically dishonest if you deny that reality. Because even if you say, I don't agree with your morality, you do draw lines somewhere. There is somewhere where you go, oh, don't cross that line. Well, if you can draw a line anywhere, then that means that lines exist. Which is why the Christian message of salvation is so dynamic because it says, listen, we've all crossed the line, but God is not there to, to smite you. He's there to redeem you and bring you back to his side. And the outworking of that is we develop this thing called character, that we grow into the character and nature of Jesus and begin to look more like Jesus, not out of our own self-righteousness, but because we become, as the scripture says, the righteousness of God in Christ. Positionally righteous as we're saved at that moment of salvation and then working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and walking with Jesus that over time, he actually begins to transform your character into the person that he made you to be, which is tremendous. Number four, we're called to be strong in relationship. Jesus said in John 13, 25, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not the quality of our sermons. It's not the, the music that we sing. It's not even our theology or doctrine. Jesus says the defining mark, the distinguishing characteristic, what separates you from the world is that the world will look inside and see my love manifest and tangible among you. That it is the quality of our love for one another. And why is this? Because in the world around us, all we see is disunity. Isn't it disheartening to look out? You go on social media and all you see is that we all disagree about everything, including who should have won that Ohio State-Oregon game. I mean, it seems clear to me that God very much wanted the Oregon Ducks to win. But apparently there are some Christians in this state called Ohio that don't agree with that. When the world looks around, all they see is disunity, but it is our unity and our relationship and our Love for one another, as Jesus said, that distinguishes us from the world. So listen to this. The example of our love for one another elevates the effectiveness of our witness to an unbelieving world. The example of our love for one another elevates the effectiveness of our witness to an unbelieving world. Someone can disagree with your theology. They can disagree with your worldview. They can disagree with your politics. What is undeniable is God's love manifest among his people and it's even better when you have black and white, Hispanics, men and women, different generations and different socioeconomic classes all together at the foot of the cross as equals, as brothers and as sisters. That is the picture of heaven. That is a picture of the kingdom of God. And the church is meant to be the living and breathing billboard of that love, Christ's love working in and through and among us that the world can look at and say, there is hope for this planet. Strong in relationship as we're planted in the house of God. And last, certainly not least, we're called to be strong in the spirit. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty 
powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's so easy to get caught in this battle of fighting flesh and blood and politics and arguing about things. The real battle is always spiritual and we're called to be supernatural people. We're called as followers of Jesus to connect with his Holy Spirit and be filled with the Spirit, strong in the Spirit. The reality is that the world doesn't need greater natural answers. The world needs a supernatural move of God. The world needs healing and deliverance. The world needs transformation and the world needs God's divine purpose. I remember as a kid growing up in Sunday school, I would hear the story about Peter and John as they walked into the temple and there at the gates was a man who was lame and he asked them for money. He was begging. He said, hey, what do you have? And there's an old children's song that many of you will remember. The cedars in the house will remember this one. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it says this, he went walking and leaping and praising God. He went walking and leaping and praising God. He didn't hear a sermon. He didn't have a theological, uh, you know, paradigm shift. He had an encounter with the supernatural, living, breathing power of the Holy Spirit as it was drawn out of some believers that were filled with the Holy Spirit. All they were doing was walking in and out of their life. God was able to do a miracle. Are we going to be a church that contends for the supernatural? Or are we content just to be in the natural? Because I'll tell you right now, the world is not looking for better, you know, little messages to be encouraged, little therapeutic kind of messages on Sundays, maybe some nice music. You can get better than that anywhere you want to go. YouTube has better messages, better music than anything we can ever do here. But you know what? The world can't offer the Holy Spirit. He only moves through Christians that are activated, strong in the Spirit, that say, God, use me and let me be a channel of heaven to bring this reality of what you want to see into the world around me. The supernatural move of God. I believe that God wants to ignite you with passion to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that when somebody is sick, you don't try to give them a prescription. You put your hands on them and you say, in Jesus' name, I proclaim healing over you. That when somebody begins to talk about the torment and the, dis- and the destructive thinking patterns and all of that, that you don't try to fix them or shrink them. What you do is you say, let me pray for some deliverance so that we can clear the air. Yeah, go get some help. That's great. But listen, I believe a lot of therapists and pharmacies and places are going to go out of business when the church comes back into its rightful business of bringing the power and the spirit of God to begin deliverance and healing and real transformation that goes generations deep talking about being strong in the spirit. It's not a polemic against the way that we handle things. I am so grateful that there are people that provide therapeutic services, that provide counseling, that provide medication to help people. But I just believe that if it's you or me or my family or my friends, I just would pray for transformation to be kind of like the main thing we want. It's kind of like saying kick a field goal or score a touchdown. Let's score the touchdown. (laughs) Let's go for it. And that comes from being strong in the spirit. And again, all of this is a reflective of being planted where God wants to plant you. Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I pray, God, that we would be strong and be like a flourishing palm, flexible, resilient, and like a cedar, strong and ancient, going the distance with longevity, with character, with integrity, and with the depth of righteousness that comes as we journey and walk with you, that we be filled with your spirit and that we would be conduits of your power, Lord, to save, to heal, to transform, to deliver, and see this city transformed. Let us be planted in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, if you're here today, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus, I mentioned this earlier, just making that 
decision to follow Jesus. This is a perfect moment to do that. And again, it's not the end of a journey, it's the beginning. You're placing your faith in Jesus, you're confessing your sin to him and asking him to save you and he responds to that immediately. And then he invites you to walk with him as a disciple, as a follower. So if that's you today, or if you're joining us online, just raise your hand so I can see. And I just want to pray with you. It's not to embarrass you. I just want you to make a step of faith. Just raise your hand so I can see. Anybody here today, Pastor Jake, I want to put my faith in Christ. Just lift up your hand so I can see. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. All right, let's all pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross as payment for my sin. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for reconciling me to God. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.